0: Hello and welcome to the Galactic Court podcast. Uh, I'm Andy, and I'm your host. As each week we discuss the latest TV episodes, films, games, and whatever else uh, takes our fancy from the worlds of Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and everything else nerdy and geeky in between. Uh, if this is the first time you found us, uh, then please feel free to follow us on social media, or on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and I also do a bit of gaming a couple of times on uh, a couple of times a week on Twitch. Um, you'll find. Uh, All of the socials linked into the episode description, so give us a follow on there and you can keep track of all of our episodes as they do get released. We've got a really busy schedule for the rest of the year with lots of TV shows and films coming up. Um, Obviously we've got Secret Invasion at the moment, which we are going to be discussing today. Um, We've obviously got Ahsoka, we've got Loki, we've got Echo, as well as films like Indiana Jones coming up, uh, Blue Beetle, The Marvels, um, Aquaman 2 dropping later in the year. So lots to keep uh, up to date with on the show and lots to discuss as well. Uh, As I mentioned, we are going to be talking about Secret Invasion uh, today, the brand-new Marvel TV series that came out a couple of days ago. Uh, Really excited to get into this uh, spy-type thriller with Samuel L. Jackson, reprising his role as uh, Nick Fury. Uh, But before that, though, uh, we are going to be talking about something else, uh, described as one of the best uh, of all time of its genre, uh, one to break the mould and really change things up for the future with a plethora uh, of guest cameos that have enthralled and delighted. Uh, with one of the most talented people of their generation as the leading star. Uh, no, I'm not talking about the recent dumpster fire that is the Flash film, um, but I am going to be talking I am talking about the Star Wars podcast and its host, Michael O'Rear.
1: That was so... I'm thrilled. <laughs> that, that was a lovely intro, and uh, you totally blindsided me. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of something, because so
0: you're actually my first first guest that I've had back on for a second time on the show. And so I've right. already done a really nice intro for you before, so I had to think of something different, and I thought lining it up as a bit of a Flash decoy <laughs> was uh, was a good
1: one. And you've yeah, changed like, wow, I'm really going to have to come in here and burst this bubble because uh, I got things to say <laughs> about Flash. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, yeah, you've changed this last time we saw you because the last intro I gave you was all about the mustache, and, and now you've got the full beard going
1: on. Going go full beard, yep. I'm, I'm on your I'm on the beard side with you now.
0: Well, what a change a couple of months can make to be fair yeah. so
1: um thank you thank you for having me
0: no it's like i say always a pleasure to have you on i'm a big fan of your show as um is he very well know, and i like to, jumping on and listening to it and um and joining you when you do your little instagram lives as you did uh, sort of early in the week when i was lying in bed and couldn't get myself
1: to sleep <laughs> um but how's things with you how's your show going at the moment uh, it's pretty good. Uh, obviously, uh started back up with Secret Invasion. It's been a minute since we talked to some like, Marvel TV, so I've really mm. excited to dive back into that. And, you know, we're always... We got things cooking. We're cooking up. We got some things coming down the pipeline that I'm not going to talk about just yeah. yet, but, you know, we're, we're always <laughs> trying to do some fun projects. And, uh, yeah, uh, hold on to your pants. You'll see.
0: Because you've... Um you've jumped onto doing something else slightly different as well, haven't you? In terms of you're doing a bit of a anime podcast. Is that correct? That's um, true. I think. It, it, yeah. It, if I remember correctly, you said that you weren't the biggest anime fan, or you haven't watched a lot of it. And so you are doing this with a friend of yours, um, and that was something that you were quite excited to do. How Have you done any episodes of that so far?
1: We, we've done one episode. It's a really s- small thing. It's like once-a-month episode. Actually, I think the next one's probably going to be two months away. So mm-hmm. it's it's very like every now and then when we can, uh, just because I am so busy with Star Wars. But yes, it's called Call Me Senpai. And uh, it's my buddy Luke, who I've I've known for over a decade now, who have been trying to get me into anime for the longest time. And uh, he realized the best way to do it now is to ask me to podcast about it. So yes, we, <laughs> that is that is the route that I'm being introduced to anime.
0: <laughs> nice. Well, I hope that goes well for you, bud. Um, yeah. I'm I'm the same as you. I'm not a big anime type person. I haven't watched a lot of it, to be fair. So. Um, maybe that's something I'll look into it more, but unless it's to be fair, in the form of of you know our popular culture of Star Wars Marvel and anything like that, I think Visions has touched a little bit on anime, hasn't it? So yes. um, that's probably been my biggest exposure to anime personally. <laughs> but in terms of the shows we're going to be looking at today, obviously Secret Invasion, and The Flash. You know, both of these shows, uh, well, both of the, the TV show and, and the film have been heavily influenced by their comic book counterparts. <clears throat> Um, you know, How much comic book knowledge do you have and are you a big comic book fan? Is it something that you've read a lot growing up or is it something that you've not really had much exposure to and, and you're sort of more familiar with the films and TV series that have been done in recent years?
1: Yeah, so I've dabbled in a little bit of Marvel stuff. I'm by no means, like on our show, Tommy, he's the comic book guy, right? Like, it's not me. I'm not super well versed in the stuff. I said on our show, I didn't know anything about Secret Invasion. Like, it's, you know, it's touch and go there. I will say I'm into like other comic, like more independent comic books or outside the Marvel and DC universe. I really like Walking Dead, Saga, um, Mm X-Machina, stuff like that. Um, So I am a comic book guy, but just not fully versed in the Marvel stuff.
0: That's fair enough. And with obviously a lot of my Marvel DC stuff being influenced by their comic book stories from, from years gone past, do you ever feel a little bit lost sometimes because they're referencing things from the comics or shots from the comics um, that they're putting into the films that are, are beautiful shots? They did it a bit more recently with the, the latest Thor film in terms of having like-for-like shots from the comics being put into the films. Because they're referencing a lot of those things and it's maybe not something you're familiar with growing up, do you feel as, as, as a viewer a little bit lost sometimes or do you feel that it doesn't really influence how you're feeling about it so much and you learn a bit more about it because people are telling you about it afterwards?
1: Yeah, actually, I think it's quite the opposite. I think I enjoy it more having not seen the comics. I know, again, referencing my co-host Tommy, he hates Civil War, and it's because it doesn't live up to the comic books. And (laughs) I don't have that reference, so Mm. I love Civil War. I think another big one, a lot of people hated how they tackled Taskmaster and Black Widow. Mm. And my take was, like, I don't care. Like, I don't know Taskmaster. So, Mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, I mean, it wasn't the greatest character in the world, but it wasn't, like, a disappointment to me, right? Like, uh, Taskmaster worked as, like, a boba fett in the original trilogy type character mm. and i didn't need anything more so i would say actually more often than not it's better that i didn't read the comics
0: i think that's fair enough you're not burdened by the uh, by yeah. the knowledge or the disappointment i think this is one of the things we'll get to talk about the flash is that i'm a huge flashpoint fan uh okay. the original comic book the animated tv series uh tv show uh tv film even sorry um and maybe that's i don't normally personally let my love of all of the story and the comic books influence how I see the film or TV series, because I like to go in on a clean slate and, and enjoy the, the TV series or film for what it is, because I know it's not going to be a like for like remake of that comic book or anything like that. But I think Flashpoint got me a little bit because I'm such a big fan of that one. So I think maybe it's a good thing that, you know, you're not burdened with the, uh, the, the knowledge of, of what's happened before. And you can go in with that sort of cleaner slate and and, and just enjoy it for what it is. But the Flash is something we're going to talk about, so let's jump straight into that. Um, so, obviously, as we know, it is based off the the comic book of Flashpoint, um, where basically Barry Allen goes back in time, saves his mum from being killed, but it then changes the future, um, where you've basically got um, like um, Atlantis and um, and Wonder Woman and Aquaman are basically at war with each other. Um, there's a, a, a lot of superheroes that don't exist. Um, Batman is actually Thomas Wayne rather than Bruce Wayne because it was Bruce that got killed on that fateful night r- rather than him. So he's now Batman instead. A lot of changes go on. Flash has lost his powers and so he has to recreate the accident to to get them back, uh, which Thomas Wayne helps him with um, and he realizes that obviously you know the changes that he's made have affected everything for the worse. and to, so he basically goes back, allows his mum to actually be murdered and reset the timeline to where it is. So obviously this film sort of really goes along those lines quite, quite closely, to be fair. Obviously the individual events that have happened in the film uh, are changed up, and obviously the consequences after that are changing it because we know we're moving out of the DCEU into the new DCU. Um, initial impressions of it? how were you feeling about this film going into it from, I mean, did you see a lot of the trailers? Cause obviously they released quite a lot of the trailer to be fair. We knew what was coming in terms of Michael Keaton's Batman, uh, Sasha Kelly's Supergirl was going to be there. So how were you feeling going into this?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I was buying into a lot of the hype that I've been hearing, you know, uh, when James Gunn says the best comic book movie ever, I'm, you know, I'm sold immediately. Um, I would say like, um, I, I don't want to, Dog the movie too much because I try to separate the movie from the trailer. But the trailer really kind of gave me the beats of the movie, and I was expecting a lot of the things to come. Um, I, I, I've seen some people with very, very drastic negative takes, especially in you mm-hmm. and I's community. Like you know, there's certain people that we both know that I won't name that are dogging on this movie way more than they should. There's a lot <laughs> to like about it. I think the action is really good. I, I, I think the humor is really good. Um, but it did not lit. It, it's probably the most mid-tier superhero movie I could probably think of. It, it's, not, it's not absolute trash, but it's definitely not in the top by any means. So that's kind of where I'm, I'm left with it.
0: Yeah, I was maybe doing it a slight disservice by calling it a dumpster fire editor, but I was trying to get a dramatic <laughs> effect for your uh, introduction, to be fair. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the the hype was obviously unreal because everyone was a lot of people calling it, a lot of the critics calling it, one of the best superhero films of all time. It's definitely not that, but it's by no means the worst thing that DC's put out, given some of the things they have put out in the last 10 years or so.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but, you know, it's slowly bringing a close to, to the DC EU and the the Zack Snyder era, as a lot of people have been calling it. Um, how much have you liked this DCEU era that we've had for the last sort of 10 years or so? Are you happy to see it changing? Did you want to see a little bit more out of it? Obviously, we know they could have done a lot better out of it um, in terms of the quality uh, that we've been given, but how have you overall viewed the DCEU before it sort of comes to a close with the next film or two?
1: Okay, so, like, I'm trying to... Let's think about the universes here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rank the universes, okay? So we have the DCEU, <laughs> we have... The Marvel, the MCU. We have Sony's CU, and then we have uh, like the DC Elseworlds, the Batman stuff like that. So Mm. if I had to rank them, I would put um, actually I think I would put the Elseworld DC stuff above. I really like the Joker. I really like the Batman. So uh, the Suicide Squad. I mean, these are top tier. Those that's number one. MCU Mm. is number two. Um, after that, I would put the Sony, uh, universe. They have really bad ones with Morbius, but I also like the Spider-Man the end of the Spider-Verse movies. And then last, I would put the DCEU. Um, (laughs) I, I have not really enjoyed, and I I say all this to say, I I don't want it to come across as if I'm a DC hater because I really do like some of those outside DC movies, but this universe for me has never worked. I've never, Mm. there's not one, like people really liked wonder woman i didn't like wonder woman some people liked shazam and aquaman but again for me they were just like so mid um and and again if you like that stuff that's completely fine everyone gets their personal opinion for me it had never worked and unfortunately this movie kind of falls in that category
0: yeah I think that's fair. I mean, it's, to me, it's very close for sort of like Sony's universe and the DCEU being <laughs> being that bottom rung. There's only a couple of Sony films, really, that save them from, from me being below that, I think. Right, right. But yeah, I think there's so much that they could have done with this universe. Um, it's just, as we know, it's not been properly managed. They've not followed up on, on certain, I'm not going to say promises they made, but the potential that they had, as we know how well of these characters are. I mean, we should always have got a second Man of Steel film. Um, and and the order that they've done it in was just so wrong and, and so confusing for a lot of fans. It's just anger too many. And then on the opposite side of that, the, the Snyderverse fans that have been almost to the toxic level of Star Wars fans. <laughs> I've yeah. mentioned it a few times on my podcast about in time, in the toxic fandom, who's worse, the Snyderverse <laughs> fans or Star Wars fans? I think they're pretty close. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, so it's, it's always been a, a rub mix. But bringing it to a close, I think... This film sort of slightly reset, setting that universe because obviously we've still got, I think, the Aquaman film that's going to fit into the, to the DCEU um, and Blue Beetle. I'm not 100 percent sure where that stands in terms of is it is it like the start of the DCU or is it just the end of the DCEU? Who knows. Um, I think it was intended. Future, but... I,
1: I think it was intended to be in Zack Snyder's universe, but James Gunn has said Blue Beetle's coming into his universe. So my guess is mm. it's so disconnected that he's able to justify that. Fair enough,
0: I mean, you know, it's one of those films that has no connection to anything else just yet, so they can just carry it through perhaps. So, yeah. But then back to the Flash film, so overall, what were your impressions then when you first walked out the cinema? I did an instant reaction when I walked out the cinema and said I was a little bit disappointed, and I did say maybe it was because I'm such a fan of the, of the comic book that it didn't quite match up to me, maybe that's where my expectations were a bit too high. I did go and see it yesterday again, so I had a second viewing of it um, and I came out feeling you no know, better about it, to be honest, <laughs> um, but maybe not a little bit worse. What was your initial reactions walking out of cinema?
1: Yeah, you know, um, and here's the thing, I, I like I think Ezra Miller, they did really good for me. I, I, I enjoyed that role. Michael Keaton was great to see again. Um, mm-hmm. Sasha as Supergirl was awesome. Like the characters really worked for me. Um, So if I was coming out, you know, I was feeling good about kind of the core cast and everything. But as you piece it together, it kind of starts to fall apart for me. Um, Just as far as like Supergirl deserved a lot more and it didn't Mm -hmm. really lend to the story too much, in my opinion. I felt like Zod, like who was like the main villain of this whole thing, was given absolutely nothing. And it just kind of led for like some questionable... You know, like you know, why why is the Flash so concerned? Even like, I feel like the Flash could just go back to his universe. Like, there's so many stuff like that where it's just like it just doesn't really fit um, mm. all together for me. So, th- like I said, there's some good with it, but overall, it just it doesn't really. Work. It, that was my initial reaction. Is like this just doesn't work, unfortunately.
0: I mean, you raise some good points. I mean, when Barry's knocked out the Speed Force by the Dark Flash. Um, he could instantly leave and just run, run forward. But I think the only thing I thought about that can maybe justify that is that, as we know in that universe, because the way he's changed the timeline and there's no meta humans or no Superman that can come and stop Zod, that Earth is destined to be destroyed. So if Barry tries to run back to the point in time that he thinks he left from, there's not going to be an Earth there for him to run back to.
1: Okay, so fair getting
0: point. knocked out the timeline. He has to stay there. I mean, he doesn't know that at the time, obviously, but it was just to me something may have stopped him from being able to reach that back into the normal point in time because technically Earth would have been destroyed at this point. Good so point. That's a good point. That was the only thing that I thought, <laughs> to be fair. But uh, in terms of – let's talk about villains of this film because we don't really have one. I mean, we've got Zod and we've got Dark Flash – I'm not getting to the paradoxical nature of the Dark Flash in terms of like he's in the Speed Force to knock Barry out of it to then create give himself the youngest self the powers to be able to become the Dark Flash <laughs> itself and then he puts himself in front of Dark Flash to be able to be killed so he doesn't exist then and the timeline can be reset so very very paradoxical goings on there but do you think this film really suffered from not having a focal point of a villain because as you said Zod doesn't really get that much screen time he's just there as. a a catalyzing event sort of in the past to to get the the moving again
1: yeah to be fair I, i i don't want to make it seem like we had to have a villain i think that's the other thing like either you go all in with zod and you give us a really good zod story or just cut zod out like is there a way to cut him out and this is just like more of a funny goofy coming of age like superhero movie where like He's just trying to get over his problems and there's not necessarily a world-ending event. I, I I think there were two different mm. ways to go about it. Um, I think they chose mm. the worst path, which was giving us a villain and then giving them nothing to do. <laughs> so
0: Yeah. I mean, what about the the dark flashes, the other potential sort of villain, if you want to call it a bit? How were you feeling about about him?
1: Yeah, again, it was something that was just kind of tacked on at the end, it felt like. Um so And, yeah, again, like, do you even call him a villain? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, for me, it was was almost nothing. And that's unfortunate because, you know, actually, uh, you know, I said I'm not, like, big into the comics. I have seen the animated Flashpoint movie, Mm. which, you know, I I don't think anybody in listening to this podcast is going to find themselves in this situation. But if you have to choose between the Flash and the Flashpoint animated movie, watch the Flashpoint animated movie. (laughs) Hell, yeah. That's a very good call. That's not why I'm
0: going to disagree with. I mean, yeah, the, the Dark Flash is, is such an awkward point because you understand that you the, the younger Barry, I'm, I'm going to go down the Spider-Man route here, Barry 1 and Barry 2, rather than like Peter 1, Peter 2, Peter 3. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, So Barry 2, he sort of understands that, you know, in, in the main timeline that Barry 1's come from is his, his mum's dead, and therefore he's trying to do every single thing he can to make sure that that, that fate doesn't happen that he can find a way to solve this um, this point in time or this fixed point in time Nexus event canon event whatever you want to call it in the in the different universes to stop that from happening so you can understand that he's spent like what like 50 odd years or so in the, just living the, the that, those moments over and over again to try and find a way to stop it and he just can't do it and it just seemed to come out of nowhere that then Barry to just throws himself in front of Barry one to to stop him being killed in the dark flash then killing him that is like, it just didn't seem to make sense to me. So I think there's, the whole thing about Flashpoint though is there's not really a villain to it either, to be fair. The whole thing is Barry coming to this realization that he has to make this emotion, really, really emotional choice to let his mum die for the greater good of the universe and, and for the timeline. And so really, uh, yeah, you said, do we really need a villain in this film? Not really, because it's all about someone coming to the emotional realisation that sometimes, as as it's pointed out by his mum in the film, you can't always have the answer. Sometimes you've just got to let go and let things be as they are. So maybe you're right in terms that we don't need a villain. But on the flip side of that, for me, Reverse Flash not being in this film was a real kick in the balls to me. (laughs) Anyone that that knows me knows Reverse Flash is one of my favourite characters. Um, and so, you know, as we know in the, in the original storyline, he's the one that kills Barry's mum. Um, and so for him not to make any sort of appearance, I know that the director's come out and said, Hey, if they do a sequel, it makes sense that the reverse flash is then going to be the villain for it, um, and, and be the bad guy. But I mean, having watched the original flashpoint and you know a little bit that the reverse flash features a little bit in there, do you think it was... They, they missed something by not having even a, a little cameo appearance of reverse fashion or did you again feel like it just wasn't needed
1: yeah so I, I like I like that Flashpoint movie I just don't have the same attachment to the characters so for me it I will say, like, I felt like you needed a second Flash no matter what, and the fact that we had a Flash that was on his side, I thought that was really cool. I think there were some really good shots, especially ones that were actually in the trailer, where you kind of see them working together, and, like, you know, that shot where their their heels come together and then sprint out, like, mm. um, I, I thought it was real, I, I thought that kind of made up for it for me. I really liked that concept, um, and again, that just comes from me not being as attached to Dark Flash.
0: I did come out of, uh, of the th- second time around actually liking uh, Barry 2 a little bit more than first time because I realised he was supposed to be the opposite of, of, the, of Barry 1 in terms of he was this young, obnoxious sort of 18-year-old teenager that didn't really have the same drawbacks because he'd grown up with both his parents around. So he was cocky, he thought he was cool, thought he thought yeah, he, he was this hotshot shot. Um, but Barry 1, to me, it still wasn't the Barry Allen that I think we should have got either. This was, um, you know, the start of the film, we've got this amazing sort of sequence um, where he's obviously at the hospital and he's trying to save people and the the babies that are flying out the window. Um, Apart from the whole ridiculous thing of the fact that he was incredibly focused on trying to get something to eat to boost his calorie, like the Barry Allen that I sort of know from the comics didn't really care or they didn't focus on writing into the story that his calories were running low and he needed the energy. Um, but this was a very glib Barry Allen, a very dismissive one of his role as a superhero once, cause he's like, oh, you guys call me when I'm, like, the backup, and he's, like, saying to Alfred, he's like, yeah, fine, I'll, I'll go and save people. Do you, I mean, I don't know how much you know about Barry Allen or anything that, like, because you say you maybe don't have the attachment that maybe I do to that particular character, but did you feel that this was a portrayal of of, of the character that was was a good portrayal or i found it a little bit annoying to be fair how do you feel about about barry Allen and this the way that he's been portrayed in this film
1: well i I had heard about the calorie thing before coming into the like somebody had mentioned that was part of there was some comic that had referenced or that was there was some precedent for that my thing was like it's never been a thing before when we see the flash so the Mm -hmm. fact that it just kind of randomly came up was just uh you know it was kind of like why, um, but yeah, this baby thing, man, like I'm so torn <laughs> on it because like the CGI babies were so bad, but also there were some really funny moments in it. Like putting the baby in the microwave was funny when he's going to save the one baby, but really he's going for the vending machine. Like that's pretty funny. Mm. Like there were some good goofs there, but uh, just, and I guess I got to respect them for just going all out with it. Like they just made one of the weirdest uh, superhero sequences i've probably ever seen so i'll, I'll give him some respect <laughs> for that
0: i liked the uh the little bit once he saved them all and the nurse is like screaming i uh, head off and he's just like seek some professional help the justice league aren't gonna uh, dealing with mental health issues yet i thought that was um a, a nice touch and given we won't really talk about it but given Ezra Miller's real life issues yeah, I think exactly. it was, like, a little bit ironic and, and a funny moment i think to, to get in there but well, I mean, it's been talked about a lot, the CGI of this film. We know that the directors come out and said that you know, those sequences, especially later on in like the, what's it, the Chronosphere, the Speed Force arena type sort of place, when it all looks like, you know, um, a late 2000s PlayStation game. Um, how do you feel about the CGI overall in this film? Because there were some really good bits. There were some, as you said, that had been a bit goofy and weren't great. Did you like the, if it, the intentional style they went with for the film as well, for those sequences?
1: I did not. I did not like it. Um, and I honestly, I think the director is being a very good sport by saying some of the stuff, because I, I don't even think it's necessarily his fault that things look this bad. I mean, the studio's kind of in charge of, uh, you know, handing out these people to help and the money to do it. So, um, you know, I feel like he really was kind of defending uh, some poor decisions made on the studio. Like, there's like, I get it. You want it to look like a little dreamlike, but not like that. Not like that. Like there's no way that that was the vision. I just, I refuse to buy into that. Uh, especially when you consider there were things outside of it. Like I mentioned with the babies that just, it's just so weird looking. Um, it, it's an unfortunate situation. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very bad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what about the way that he runs when he, when he's running fast? This, I'm going to say it now, I find it absolutely ridiculous because um, I'm a, a decent fan of the TV series Flash and the way that he runs there. And he actually looks like, you know, he's taking normal steps whilst he's running and his arms are going normally. But th- the whole way that he does this in this film, it does this whole sort of very elaborate hands going up, the two fingers always in front of him sort of thing, taking giant steps as, as they're running through. Did this Was this not part of the goofiness that wasn't really needed and they need to do better with that kind of thing, do you think?
1: Yeah, he makes a uh, Flash makes a comment at some point about Speedy Gonzalez and doing the mm. you know the arm thing. So <laughs> um, I feel like that you know the goofiness and how he runs is kind of part of the character. With that being said, yeah, it's it's a little weird to me. I will say I like the opening sequence um, where the first time we see him run, where he's running through the street and everything. Um, I I just thought it kind of worked. I mean, it, it didn't look particularly bad. Maybe it was a little goofy, but. Uh, it was just kind of interesting to see it from his perspective where like, you know, so often we get the slow-mo speedster stuff, right? Um, we get some of it in this movie, but actually seeing him run as fast as he's running with all the things just morphing by him. I I thought that was kind of cool.
0: Yeah. I mean, they've definitely improved over the last sort of few years, how speedsters look when they run on screen. I think, I think they did a really good job in, in Eternals with the speedster there um, everyone was saying that's what speedsters should look like when they run as a, a reference to flash tv show i think i think he definitely looks a lot better there even though that particular tv show is the series have gone on the cgi budget seems to have been cut so their cgi got a bit worse as well to be fair but i think overall they need to make some improvements on, on his stance his running stance, i can't just, it's every time i look at it i, I just laugh this whole two fingers out the front i just can't deal with that to be <laughs> yeah. fair it really irritates me i don't know why but Let's get some good points about, about this one, because there were some, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Michael Keaton's Batman. Um,
1: yeah. You know,
0: I think in the... It'd be interesting to get your opinion on this. You know, if we go back to the way trailers were done in the 90s, when, to be fair, secrets could be kept a lot better uh, because there wasn't as much people around to to leak secrets or to take pictures and get it out there. Do you think either the, having Batman or Supergirl not appear in the trailers and be a big reveal for the film would have been a lot better if they'd been able to keep that sort of secret from getting out to the public and have it as a big reveal moment in the film itself. Do you think that would have been better for, for this movie? Or do you think they needed to have those characters in the trailers to boost up the amount of people that are going to go and see this movie anyway?
1: Yeah, it's tough because you're right. It's very hard to keep the stuff a secret, but um, you know, kind of like I mentioned, I felt like a lot of this, you know, The movie was kind of beat by beat where, okay, let's get Michael Keaton. Okay, let's get Supergirl. Okay, now let's go fight Zod. And all of this stuff was laid out in the trailers. So, like, I knew Mm. how things were going the entire time. So, that was a bit of a disappointment. I will say I understand that you have to show Michael Keaton because I know a lot of people went to this movie just for Michael Keaton. And, like, financially, you just have to show him. Um, Supergirl would have been a very interesting reveal, though. Like, I I would have Mm. loved to see um how this movie looked, especially because she doesn't come in until like the third the start of the third act like um you you really did not need to show supergirl
0: yeah i think it's a shame that they did that sort of reveal to be fair i think they could have played it off as potentially it being henry cavill's superman and then you know twist it up to, to be supergirl but how do you feel then about you know, Batman's performance in this film, Michael Keaton's performance in the film, because we know Michael Keaton's pretty good in, in just about everything that he does, to be fair. Um, you know, he was he's obviously been great in the MCU. He was great as Birdman. So he's got his sort of superhero niche down and obviously he you know, pre- reprising his Batman role. I liked how they did it when the first sort of reveal of going to Wayne Manor is he's sort of this old kook who's just you know, in, the, in, the, in the long hair um, and he has to be sort of, convinced to join again which is a little bit of a trope maybe but you know he he sort of comes out and he's like i need to be batman again um do you love him keeping in this film did you want to see him stick around as batman or rather than him sort of die off and be replaced again yeah what, what were your thoughts on this one
1: no, I, I uh, Michael Keaton did great, um, and I, I, I knew that would happen and, like, just very excited to see. Like you mentioned, I like the recluse uh, Bruce Wayne where they go in, and I, I thought that led to an interesting fight scene. Um, so, yeah, my, I mean, <laughs> it, it goes without saying Michael Keaton was great. I, I, here's my hot take, though. And I did not expect me to feel this way, but I think I might have enjoyed Ben Affleck in this movie more. (laughs) Um, I I think the fight scenes, especially with him in the beginning on the highway and then some of the more emotional conversations he has with uh, the Flash. um, Like Ben Affleck worked for me in this maybe more than he ever Mm -hmm. has. So uh, that's I I just want to put that out there. It's kind of an underrated talking point here, but I, I was really excited to see Ben Affleck. So.
0: No, I think that that's a, a very valid point. The same, you know, thinking about it is the fact that, yeah, he actually, you might have only, what, been five, ten minutes of, of him in this film, but it was, um, it was he did a really good job in this one, to be fair, um, and obviously throwing in a nice little appearance of uh, Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman um, at the end, and him being, oh, my ego is far too big for me to be able to say thank you, and <laughs> being done by that, so the last of truth, and and Barry's little comment about, I know about sex, but I've not experienced it. <laughs> um, that's was so good it was quite amusing he's like yep no way to recover from that really especially when he seems to have that little crush on wonder woman yeah,
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> um but you know we don't know if obviously gal godot's wonder woman's coming back so if that's the last we see of her it was a nice little nice little happy cameo in there for her and and obviously flies to to wherever she be but then obviously as you mentioned you know supergirl sasha calais in this film um She didn't have an awful lot of screen time, but I thought she did a really good job of of what she did do. Yep, she's mostly fighting, to be fair. We don't see a lot of her personality as Supergirl, maybe. Um, And I know that it's come out that she's potentially in talks to carry on playing Supergirl in the new DCU. Um, What were you thinking about Supergirl in this film?
1: Uh, I, I loved her I and I think my biggest complaint is we didn't get enough of her uh I think that she mm, was definitely. awesome I thought the like the original uh Prison Break that she does, where she gets out of like the the hold she was in uh and she fights all those guards I thought that was like an incredible scene um I I I think she was very cool she's also like uh I think every uh you know straight male nerd on the internet has like completely fallen in love with her including myself so um yeah they, they gotta bring her back yeah i definitely
0: want to see a bit more of her um she did a really good job too far i don't think there's any other way of saying about it you know as we said we didn't maybe didn't get to see a lot of her um outside of fighting in this film i definitely think we you know i definitely would have wanted to see more of her in this but I think in line with, with her purpose in the film, it, it was it was okay in terms of the amount of screen time she had. Like you said, she didn't come into the third act, and really she was just there to to be a Superman replacement. But moving forward, I really do hope that they bring her back and, and we get to see her in more projects. But in terms then of other people that we get to the film, a lot of cameos in this film. Some of them CGI. Some of them, obviously, actual people. So we've already mentioned that we get, you know, um, we get Gadot's G- 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 Wonder Woman in there in sort of, you know, when the worlds are colliding um, in, in in the Speed Force sort of arena. Um, we get to see a plethora of different Supermen from sort of like Adam West's Batman to, to Christopher Reeves and even the brilliant Nick Cage sort of cameo in there, which apparently... I don't know if it's true or not. It's just something I read today, actually. But apparently he did come in and film that. It wasn't 100% CGI'd, uh, Nick Cage's bit. Obviously, they de-aged him and, and obviously did their weird effect to it. But um, we also get to see um, in that little bit as well, we get to see Teddy Sears. I don't know if you know who Teddy Sears is. Um, but he basically played um, Jay Garrick and Zoom in the Flash TV series. Like Jay Garrick was like the very first Flash. From the golden age where's that sort of like weird helmet with the lightning rods on it um, although in the Flash TV it's a bit weird because in the Flash TV series um, the Jay Garrick that he plays is a fake Jay Garrick, he's not actually the real Jay Garrick, it's a time remnant of Zoom pretending to be Jay Garrick so the fact that they chose him as Jay Garrick to be the cameo was a little bit strange because he's not playing Jay Garrick he's playing. He's, he's doing a, a weird version of him So, but there are a lot of cameos in there. Were you loving to see all these different? Because I love like little things, like that, little nods to various different sort of previous Superman or Batman franchises and things like that. You know, was that something you enjoyed seeing, or did you think it was a pointless nods to something that wasn't needed?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, technically it was kind of pointless, but I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, it was fun <laughs> to see. You know. Christopher Reeves, you know, that that's my that's my Superman, right? Um, and then obviously <laughs> Nick Cage is such a weird... Like, I I don't know that... I think so I might have cool. been the only person in my theater that got the joke because I, like, audibly gasped and everyone else was very quiet. And I was like, guys, this this is a <laughs> long time coming, seeing Nick Cage as Superman. So, yeah, it, it was worth having. I, I liked it.
0: Yeah, I... I... Again, it's so, I was talking to someone a couple of weeks back on the show about the difference between American cinemas and, say, British cinemas with the amount of energy that you get from the reactions in the room. Um, and I think going to the cinema has changed a lot because over here, pre-pandemic, we would have midnight premieres of when the shows come out. So, you know, they would have the film showing in 10 different screens at once. Everyone would be absolutely packed out. You'd have a lot of sort of... You know, energetic reactions to things, you know, especially when you're watching Infinity War and Game, for example. Whereas now they don't do the midnight viewings anymore. So when a film comes out, the first viewings at like 9am in the morning, and people aren't queuing up to go and see it anymore because everyone's got work and stuff like that. Yeah. So I went. I did go and see Flash the first day it came out, but I, there was maybe 15 of us in the cinema. <laughs> so I, it's hard for me to react to how everyone else was getting to those moments because there's fifteen people in the British cinema, we're not gonna be the most sort of jubilant and 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 vocal people in the cinema when there's a that small amount of us in there and we're all quite reserved British people. So um yeah. it's hard for us to gauge hard for me to engage if anyone else got that. But to me it was one of those moments that I can smile at the screen because I know exactly what's going on with seeing Nick Cage in there. So um, I mean, do you still get that in American cinemas where you sort of have those moments when everyone sort of whoops and cheers and stands on their feet like you
1: did with sort of, you know, Infinity War game? Does that still happen yeah. post pandemic for you guys? It's uh, so I, you have to go opening night. So, and the weird thing is, I, technically, it, the movie, the date that they always say it comes out is that Friday, but they always do, hmm. they always have showings the, ev- the evening of Thursday, like starting at about 7 o'clock. Which is because it's kind of like the midnight premiere, but they do them earlier now. So there is like mm-hmm. a seven, eight, nine, ten o'clock, and you can do the midnight too. Um, but now that it's just you know they have a, an early half day where all the movies come out typically, um, and and you have to go on that Thursday if you want that type of reaction. Uh, unless it is maybe like an Infinity War, you might get that reaction a week later too. But it's always the opening night that you know it's the biggest fans there to see it, and that that's usually where you get it. But even then, like my theater was not super rowdy for the Flash. Like it's got to be a pretty big, mm-hmm. like a Star Wars movie or an Avengers movie. Um, yeah, you got to be a pretty big film to have like a really lively theater. Um, but it definitely happens if you know <laughs> when to go. <laughs>
0: I think the only recent one in for me that it, anything like that happened was No Way Home, when yeah, taken by a Andrew Garfield. Um, and that's one. Yeah. in um, in multiverse of madness because obviously we knew that like patrick stewart was going to be in it but we weren't sure who else was going to be in the Numinality. Mm. um so when when mr fantastic shows up that got a bit of a gasp but yeah. apart from that we're still british we're reserved we're not whooping that's for sure it's just a <gasps> sort of yeah. reaction there's, there's no cheering going on here yeah
1: that's fine. that's a, that's a kind of sad because it's like one of my favorite parts of like these are big mm. event films is is like that communal aspect of seeing the movie. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, uh, I feel bad. You come, come over here for a, a 7 p.m. premiere
0: <laughs> on a Thursday. I think it would be nice to experience at some point. But again, because I'm British myself, I think I'm, I'm comfortable sitting in there in, in happy silence and yeah. taking it all in. I I, you know, I think in Infinity War, when Thanos stabs Iron Man, and I like I actually stood up out of my seat, because I like like I was there with my best friend and I like stood up and grabbed her arm and I'm like, yeah. Is that yeah. is that you know is actually gonna die? I think that's probably the biggest reaction I've ever had in the cinema to be fair.
1: Here's um, mine. Mine is uh when when Kylo kills smoke. That boom. one I stood up in like dim oh, circles. Yeah. I was like like a giddy schoolgirl.
0: To be fair, I think that is the only time I've shouted out loud at the cinema, and I, now you've mentioned it because I was just like, "Oh my fucking god!" Is he actually just killed him? And, yeah, but yeah. That was to be fair, it was a good shock moment, wasn't it? So yeah. For sure. Um, in terms then of another big cameo that point came in the film, and I know from having listened uh, into your show last week um, when you did your review for this that this is your favourite Batman. Now when. You know, Barry's resolved everything at the end and he comes back to what he thinks is his timeline his dad's absolved in in, in court and he's going to be let go Bruce Wayne calls him I knew straight away from hearing the voice that that was not Ben Affleck anymore I didn't pin down exactly who it was but I'm like that's not Ben Affleck, something changed Um, and obviously we get the reveal that it's George Clooney's Batman (laughs) George Clooney's Bruce Wayne shows up I know you mentioned he's your favourite Batman so I'm guessing that you were loving this little cameo spot at the end
1: yeah, and, you know, I don't, I don't even think I realized he was my favorite until, like, you know, really thinking about it and reflecting on it. But, like, he's got, like, this charm, this this billionaire charm to him mm-hmm. that, like, I feel like a lot of the other Batmen lack. Um, so it really works for me in the role. And not to mention, I just love George Clooney in general, like, outside all the other roles and movies that he's been in. Like, I just love George Clooney. So, um, yeah, it was, <laughs> I loved, I loved this cameo for sure. <laughs>
0: I mean, because they, this was the film that they said was basically resetting the DC universe to make way for the DCU. How do they go forward with the with the Batman now, where they seem to have set it out that George Clooney is now this universe's Batman? Are we expecting now to George to, for George Clooney to carry the Batman mantle moving forward, or because the Batman film that we're going to be getting, um, I think it's um, the Brave and Beyond, if memory serves is going to be based upon you know batman and his son so is it going to be the case that we're going to get george clooney as the older batman that passes the mantle down to his son and that's going to be this universe of batman moving forward what are you thinking about this
1: i would love that i really would uh if i had to pick honestly that's probably what i would decide but i think in reality we're probably just going to get a brand new batman um I just don't see George Clooney. George Clooney doesn't do a lot of work now in general, and it's just hard to imagine mm. him like stepping back into a superhero role at this age. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I would be ha- happily surprised.
0: I just think it's it's something that they need to, well, just let us know about, really, isn't it? Um, you know, one, because people get excited about a, a new casting for Batman anyway. But two, like I said, they've just set it up as this is now the Bruce Wayne of this universe. That, that's been altered and changed so is this our Batman moving forward is it just going to be a past the mantle on sort of thing it'd be weird if they just completely eliminated him and had a, a brand new Bruce Wayne without saying anything so I, I hope they do address it sort of in the future well,
1: I think that's the big question is is this the new universe or are they hmm. still starting over after this I, I think that's that's the bigger question right now for me
0: yeah because I know that they have said that this film will, will reset it but are they just having it come to a close with a few changes and then, as you said, just have a fresh start? Um, or is this a continuation because of the, the multiverse, so to speak? So, I mean, how much have, have you watched any of the Flash TV series at all with Grant Gustin playing the Flash?
1: I have not. Uh, not, not a lick. My wife, my wife likes it, actually, but I, I have <laughs> not watched it.
0: I was only asking because obviously there are a lot of people that you know, are calling for Ezra Miller to be obviously replaced as the Flash and saying, yeah, Grant Gustin's done a really good job, and let's just bring someone in who already knows the role. He played a pretty good Barry Allen, and and can really carry it on for the movies where it's needed. It's not like he's going to be having the same schedule as a TV show to to carry on playing this character. So I don't think it would be a bad choice, to be fair. Um, As I said, I wasn't too keen on Ezra Miller's portrayal of this particular Barry Allen, so... I wouldn't be upset if they recast him. What about you? Where do you stand on recasting Ezra Miller as The Flash? Do you, do you care if they use him for a sequel or do you think it's time to wipe that slate clean if they're going to do it in the universe and have someone else do it?
1: And, and that's my other thought when it comes to, like, is this the future? Like, I don't think they're going to move forward, Ezra Miller, uh, nor do I. Hmm. Ezra Miller is fine. I, I probably might actually like Ezra Mo- Miller in the role more than most. Uh, I, I always thought it kind of fits for me personally. With that being said, there's just, there's too much baggage here. So um, I, I think it's time for a recast.
0: And then the last point I was going to touch on is, you know, the, the whole sort of premise of this story was Barry going back in time, saving his mum, then coming to this realization that he has to let her go and let her die in order for things to be fixed. <clears throat> I think these were the scenes that hit the hardest and and were the best in the in the whole film was, yeah, but the portrayal the of young Ezra, um, sorry, young, young Barry with his mum, and then the scenes when he sort of finally gets to meet them when they're alive again and they're together, and then the touching scene at the supermarket in the end, where he, you know, basically gets to talk to her and effectively say goodbye before, you know, disappearing again. That was, to me, the heart and soul of this film was that particular story. Everything else is, is, is needed because it's part of the Flashpoint story, but for me, this was what the heart of this film was and was, to me, the best acting in it as well. How were you feeling about this bit of the storyline?
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. This was one of the stronger points of the movie for me. Um, I did feel like an investment in an understanding it, like what Barry was going through with some of the stuff and, uh, yeah, the true emotional core of the movie. Mm. I will say, I, I would have appreciated them showing who killed Barry's mom. Like, I feel like that's another thing that just, like, kinda of gets left dangling out there that like uh, they could have addressed, but it is what it is.
0: Yeah, again, I will, you know, pick at that bone because I wanted to see the reverse flash. Um, I I don't think you can really have a flashpoint story without including that sort of bit in there. So it was annoying that they didn't include it. But you know the directors came out and, and given us reasons for it. He said that he didn't feel it was needed, that it was more focusing on you know the the whole point that we just mentioned of, of him being able to focus on the fact that you can't have a solution to every problem. He's got to let go of certain things and, and, and move on. So, I almost forgot, to be fair. Uh, the post credit scene in the film, uh, very much a throwaway scene. Um, I was expecting some big surprise, big reveal for this post-credits scene because I talked to a few people that got to go to early screenings and they said that the post credit scene was kept out of it. They, they didn't show it. Um, apparently they didn't even show the George Clooney reveal at the end either uh, to keep these things secret. So you're expecting this, you know, you've know, you heard this, there was no post credit scene in, the, in the, pre- the previews. So there's going to be a big reveal about maybe something that's going to be happening in the future of the, of the DCU. And then we get the straightaway scene of just basically Ackerman being drunk and falling asleep in a puddle. Um, I, th- I thought the only point to having this particular scene was the fact that they've had quite a few little cameo appearances with Barry and and Aquaman together and like they had it at the end of the Peacemaker series and they had good interactions in the Justice League film so maybe it was just a throwaway scene but it was a little payoff for those two characters because they've had this sort of good bouncing off each other throughout the the DC films was it was it worth it is it it a post-credit scene or or do you think it was just there for that light ending to a film
1: yeah, I mean, uh, at this point, I feel like um, I, I just don't hold a lot of stake in the post credit scenes because at this point, more often than not, they're a dumb joke. Um, hmm. So coming into it, I my expectations were very low, and they always are now when I go into post credit scenes. Um, so it kind of delivered exactly what I expected, which was a bunch of nothing. So <laughs>
0: is it because Marvel hyped up post credit scenes so much in terms of you know going from phase one to phase and to phase three? The, the Infinity Saga, that a lot of the post-credit scenes were little things that were leading it to upcoming events and actually did mean something. And then, to be honest, since then, they haven't really done much in post-credit scenes, have they? They haven't really led... I think because of the pandemic and the way that they've had to film a lot of things, they haven't really been able to have post-credit scenes that link up to the upcoming project. So do you think it was because we got spoiled so much with, with Marvel's post-credit scenes that and that's had to change through the pandemic. That's the reason why we don't really put too much stock in post-credit scenes now will think they're going to be too important
1: yeah definitely um i feel like did i dream this or spider-man one i believe it <laughs> i can't tell if this tell me if i'm right first post-credit scene for a marvel movie that ever happened was in spider-man one and it was a music video right am I, is am, am i remembering this correctly toby Maguire, spider-man you're referring to do what do what? sorry which which spider-man film sorry uh the the very first with toby Maguire.
0: I don't remember that to be honest.
1: I feel like I remember seeing that in theaters, but um, I don't know. Maybe you could talk, and I can Google. It. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't actually remember that being a case. To be fair, it's the only time I remember Tobey Maguire dancing was his awful dancing is <laughs> um, in, in Spider Man Three. To be fair, so um, but overall, then I mean, I don't rate this film as he said massively highly because it's it's not. It was definitely overhyped as a film. It's it's not one that's gonna. Stick out as is one of the best superhero films of all time, despite what they said. Uh, you know, starting to lose faith in what some of the critics say now and then. Celebrities, a lot of celebrities, seem to come out in the run up to this and, and going, "I've seen it; it's absolutely amazing, and um, you're going to be all blown away for it." It's changing the game. Like, I'm not sure how much we could believe Tom Cruise in the first place with some of the marketing that he does, but he's one of the one of the ones that came out and went, "This film is absolutely amazing; you're going to be blown away." And I'm like, "No, you're definitely lying to me now." So. Um, I mean, personally, I'm I'm giving this kind of film about. I would give it probably a six point five out of ten. Um, how how are you feeling? What sort of rating would you give this film overall?
1: Um, yeah, I think I'm I'm landing very some close to you. Um, six point five sounds about right. Um, I I. Uh, and that's the other thing. I don't know if you're on Letterbox. People say I'm very forgiving with my reviews. Typically, I like you know. Like, for me, a 7 out of 10 is pa- a passing movie, right? That passes. Mm. It's, it's, it's a movie. Um, so I might even give it a 7. I think that, like, it, it kind of... Pa- like, there's I have issues, but, you know, when you compare it to, like, the most horrible movies of all time, uh, you know, it's a pretty good film. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I'm Googling about the Spider-Man in scene, mm. and... Um, it's not really, it's being vague. There was a song, though. I just can't tell if it was at the end credits. <laughs>
0: so. Maybe if anyone's listening to this, they can uh, send us a message if they remember this or they've got any sort of proof that there was a, uh, a post credits singing scene. So, Spider Man 1. Yeah. And uh, we'll see. see or I'll do a bit of research as well see if I can find something out for you. But uh, That's the Flash over and done with then. So, let's move on to this brand new Marvel TV series, uh, Secret Invasion. So we had our first episode that came out on Wednesday. Um, Marvel, I think, have actually been sort of hyping this up um, as well as saying that you know they, there's a lot at stake with this because it's going to affect some things moving forward. Um, I did a preview um, about a month ago with Lee from Lights Camera Runt um, about this, and we we had some predictions for this. One of them was one of my predictions has come correct in the first episode, um, so I'm happy about that, that. I got something right for once because normally my predictions are wildly out out of sync and don't seem to be correct at all. But um, obviously the premise of this series being that, um, you know, the Skrulls, um are, are unhappy that Captain Marvel and Nick Fury haven't found them a home yet. Um, and a faction has sort of broken off and are a bit more radical and basically now want to have Earth for themselves and, and, and take it over. Uh, what were your initial thoughts seeing obviously the build up to, to this and, and obviously before you saw it as well? What were your thoughts about it? How were you feeling going into it? Was it something you're looking forward to or was it potentially going to be one of those mediocre TV series again?
1: Yeah. So um, I definitely, I definitely um, was very excited for this. Um, just not, and like I had mentioned, not really into like the co- So I didn't know a whole lot about this, but you know, seeing Samuel Jackson back in it, like a lead mm-hmm. role here. Um, and of course, Amelia Clark, who I love a lot showing up here and, Um, It gives me like big spy espionage type vibes, and you know that was the kind of thing I really wanted from Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and it didn't exactly deliver the way I wanted it to. And um, yeah, so I I was coming in here really hoping that they could do that, and it did that, and I loved. I really this might be my favorite MCU premiere uh, TV show thus far.
0: That's very high praise indeed.
1: We yes. were told we were going to be getting. It was going back
0: to the sort of you know Winter Soldier um, type of vibe of you know, spy espionage, um, building it up to be to be quite a big thing. And they've obviously been building up to to the fact or telling us that there is someone big in the in the MCU that's been a scroll for, for quite a while. And you're all going to be surprised when it happens. I think there's maybe a red herring in there of, of who it's going to be. Um, but we'll get to get to it. we'll chat about some of the characters in a bit. But um, I know that the director came out and, and gave an interview, um, I think it was yesterday, where he said that he was told by Marvel not to read the comic books and so not to get an idea of what Secret Invasion was in the comics because th- they didn't want this TV show to be anything like that. They want it to be its own story, obviously connected to the MCU. Um, so I don't think it matters for obviously uh, one iota for this particular one that you don't know the the comic book story. Um, just the, the fact that you know the only connection is that scrolls are appearing on Earth and taking over as, as potentially some some well known s- people on the planet and, and infiltrating here and there. So um, I know a controversial point at the start has been this AI intro um, for a lot of people. I must admit I didn't find out until I think it was yesterday that it was an AI intro. Um, I remember watching it on Wednesday, going, "Yeah, it's a bit of a weird, a bit of a weird start." But it's supposed to be that sort of murky, making you feel a bit discombobulated sort of opening to it, I think. How are you feeling about this This whole controversy behind this AI intro?
1: Yeah, I, I think my initial reaction was like, why are you doing this? Because like AI art in general has like a bad reputation of actually looking good in general. Um, and this kind of had that vibe to it. Um, but also like, in in the midst of the writer's strike and a lot of the issues Hollywood is having with what AI could mean for the future of jobs and whatnot. Like, I don't think it was necessarily a good look. I think I get the point though. And this was, this was laid out on my podcast um, that um, it's very much, uh, it's supposed to be a metaphor for the scrolls basically. And um, you know, kind of AI art mocking Hmm. real art while scrolls are, are, taking up the forms of humans. So I don't know, there, there might be something thematically there, but still felt a little weird.
0: Hmm. I think there was um, one of the people that helped along with the design for the opening came out recently and said people criticizing it because of the right to strike and giving again, you know, jobs of, of humans to an AI machine. He says that there was still an awful lot of people that had to, to make this work and had to work on this for it to be a viable sort of intro the show, so I don't know and I'm not someone that that's delved really deep into to the whole controversy of the writer strike I, I obviously know bits about it, I've read a bit about it and, and read some interviews, but I don't want to dive deep to it because I don't want to get too political on here either, but do, do, do you think it's something that's justified in terms of people being outraged that this was an AI intro or do you just feel that it was like you said, they're trying to emulate something because it's to do more with the scrolls and and that in their perception of, of taking something over or, or cam- being camouflaged to be something it isn't.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there needs to be like an outrage. Like we don't need to cancel the show over this, but I, it's something where I think, I think the big thing is, it's just something worth talking about because it is like a new element in the mix to all this stuff. And, you know, when talking about movies and TV, like it is becoming, you know, uh, you know, with the writer's strike, the concern is that AI can take jobs from writers and even artists at this point. So, um, it, it's worth talking about, but it is not worth really like, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, throwing the show
0: away. So let's talk about the episode itself then. So as we know, this is, you know, this is not the Nick Fury world. This isn't the in charge of shield always, you know, three steps ahead of everyone. Sort of Nick Fury. He's, he's been up on, on the, the spaceship or space station for saber, um, since really the, the, the end of the blip. Um, and, you know, this is a, a Nick Fury that's lost faith. He's he's not the same anymore. He's, he's lost a few beats. He seems to have this damaged leg now. He's got a bit of a limp going on. You know, it, did you enjoy seeing this sort of different side to Nick Fury? Because I think by, obviously, the end of the series, we're going to have the old Nick Fury back. Um, but, you know, are you, are you enjoying seeing this alternate Nick Fury that seems to be worn down and a bit sort of beat up and a bit, a man who sort of lost faith in everything that he tried to build up that can be destroyed in an instant.
1: You know, it gives me big old man Logan vibes, you know, uh, from, from mm. Logan, uh, you know, the, this guy that we basically kind of grew up with uh, to a certain extent uh, and kind of seeing him on like, you know, the, this, is, this is our guy and, and he's not what he used to be. And I, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff to tackle with that. Uh, thematically throughout the the season and tackling his character, so um, yeah, I, like uh, it, it's a different uh, take on the character, which um, I really appreciate them kind of mixing it up, and uh, it works for me.
0: Hmm. So we start off the episode, you know, seeing Everett Ross uh, from the sort of War and Black Panther films. He's meeting with a guy to obviously get some information, um, and you know he's then yeah you know, after killing this guy and taking the information, he's. Chased down by what turns out to be Talos, um, but it turns out that Everett Ross you know is a scroll. Um and it seems like Maria Hill didn't didn't really know either, because you know she was in contact with him. Uh, so are we believing that Everett Ross has been a scroll for some time? You know, are we dating as far back as the Black Panther films, or is this maybe something that's a recent development? And did you think there was any towels at the start for it to show that Everett Ross was a, a scroll? Because I watched the episode again a little bit earlier, and I to me, I couldn't pick up anything that would indicate straight away that this guy was a Skrull. So do you think he's been a Skrull for some time, or is this just a, a new thing they're bringing in?
1: Uh, yeah, I-, I thought about it. Um, definitely something I considered, but it seems a little much for that to be the case. Like It would require a lot more explaining, I think, um, that they probably just want to sidestep. So I would say that, yeah, I think that... Um, we've seen the real Everett Ross, and, and this time, uh, the, the, at the start of this episode, he, it, this is the scroll version.
0: Because hmm. we do see a little bit later in the episode, in, um, in the, the taking obviously of bodies of people and, and replicating them, um, and so that was a. I think it was a question that was going to be answered: that if you know Everett Ross has been a scroll for some time, do they have his body stashed away somewhere? And what seems to be a new ability for them as well, in the terms of that we were always you know, we were taught in the original Captain Marvel film that Skrulls can impersonate what you look like, but they don't have your memories or anything like that. But here they seem to be doing this thing where you know, they're touching their head and they seem to be absorbing their mind. So potentially they have a new ability where they can take your memories as well to impersonate you for the longer term. That's, that's gotta be dangerous to the MCU as well, isn't it? In fact, if you've got scrolls that can do that, surely.
1: Yeah, no, that's uh, it's definitely an interesting twist, and makes these scrolls much more sinister than they ever have been, for sure. So, um, it's a very dark concept. Like uh, they have like mm. uh, like a human farm of memories, people that are just like strung up, and uh, it's it's very it's a very evil take on on this uh, group of scrolls, for sure.
0: And you've got Gravik, who's their leader. That you know, we don't see too much from this episode, but what we do see of him is that he's you know he's very clinical. He was. I guess he's doing that whole sort of stare down thing because he doesn't do an awful lot of talking in the in the scenes that we see him in this episode, but he did come across as very menacing and someone that was just, he's going to do what he needs to do in order to get to his goals. There's going to be no messing around with this guy. Um, and on the flip side of that, you've got Talos, who obviously played by you know, the, the really great Ben Mendelsohn, um, you know, proposing his role from Captain Captain Marvel. It seems like him and Fury have basically been like best buds for like the last 30 years. But everyone's lost faith in his ability to lead the Scrolls forward, and he even tells, obviously, Fury himself. You know, we've been abandoned. Captain Marvel disappeared. Yeah, you've been stuck on the space station for years. No one's done anything for us. Um, And he seems sort of, sort of worn down by this whole situation as well, because he's been kicked off the the Scroll Council. He's not leading them anymore how is Talos going to repair this moving forward because he's got a big task in his hand and he, this whole little side plot as well that it seems that his wife has been potentially murdered by Gravik and his and his associates you know what's Talos got to bring to this party to, to, to change things around for him what are you thinking he's going to have to do as the series goes on because we see him at the start as well where he doesn't want to spill Scroll blood he doesn't seem to want to actually kill them so is he going to have to go down a dark path to get things back or is he going to be a man that can stick to his principles and turn things around what are you thinking
1: it's tough to say because like it's hard to imagine at least this particular group of scrolls on earth and new scrollos like i don't really see a way that they get on the same page right like uh Mm. But kind of like I mentioned, they're doing very sinister they're they're doing they're performing terrorist attacks, right like yeah. it's hard to imagine you know maybe there is a greater you know maybe he can uh join another group of scrolls, or maybe he just goes full human, maybe he's just team human now, you know um it's just very hard for he's got to take these guys down, and uh, it's unfortunate, and it's gonna be difficult for him, but um with how sinister and how truly evil and despicable these people are, I don't see a way that he gets on the same page with them, so um yeah. That's
0: kind of where I feel about that, and then we've got um got his daughter Gaia, obviously played by Amelia Clark in this. I called it straight from the off in my preview that she was going to be on the on the team of the bad guys, and that she would potentially become a double agent helping fury and, and Talos to to take them down, maybe which is the way it seems that it's potentially going to go, so I mean would you, can you see her point of view and the fact that she's you know become disillusioned with what her dad was trying to do and and obviously, she's been affected by hearing the news that her mum has passed away, which is what leads her to maybe sort of getting a bit back on his side in the first place. So, can you see things? Obviously, Brilliant episode, and I know there's a lot to unpack still, but can you see things from her point of view so far that she's lost this faith in her dad and, and what they were doing, like so many of the other scrolls have seen too?
1: And I think that's the thing I really like about the show is because I am leaving with a lot of uncertainty um, and where things could possibly go. And that's a big complaint that I've had with a lot of the Marvel stuff is is it can be very predictable. Um, mm. And for this, I, I don't know. And even at the end here, and I actually I want to ask you, um, where, where do you think she falls at the end of the episode? Because it kind of seems like she might have screwed them over. But also, I feel like there are other signs that she was really believing in her dad, like. Where, where is she truly just in the middle right now still? Or is she one way or the other? What, how do you feel about that? I think
0: she she wants to help her, her dad out because maybe she does feel sorry for him. But she still seems to be on the side of, of the other guys because she's giving Fearing and Talos information to help them. But she's like, I'm still playing my part in this. I'm still going to do what I think is sort of right. Um, I think by the end of it, she'll obviously come back to to Talos. And and she'll be on his side, and maybe she's the one that that takes down Gravik overall. Um, but it seems like that maybe they the other scrolls in in New Skrullos, which by the way I know you touched on in your 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 show, they've got to find some people to name things better. <laughs> New Asgard, New Skrullos, they've got to find ways of calling cities and stuff better names. <laughs> um, But it seems like maybe the other scrolls outside of Gravik treat her with a bit of disrespect and a bit of loathing almost because he was like, you, come here. And just giving her blunt instructions and Mm -hmm. maybe sort of not giving her as much respect because she's the daughter of Talos. So I don't know if you felt or saw the same thing that I did there, but felt like maybe the others don't trust her as much as as maybe Gravik does.
1: I'll be honest, it's not something I really picked up on until you just mentioned it. But yeah, I mean, I I think you have a point there that... um... Even if she is still on this side, like she probably isn't got the warm and fuzzy about it, right? Like she, she's probably, uh, you know, there might be some bitterness to her towards uh, these people. Yeah, I think
0: she's definitely going to be one of the more interesting characters as we, uh, as we get through this series to see how much she treads that line between trying to help her dad out to maybe, you know, because it's her dad after all. But at the same time, staying with the the, the, the bad guys and still doing the things that's needed to do on on their side. So yeah, it's going to be that interesting balance, isn't it? So um, I just want to give a, a special mention to Olivia common in this episode. Obviously, she plays uh, Sonia. Um, I think she had a bit of fun with this character, by the, it seems. Um, I mean, obviously, I've grown up watching her in various different comedy shows and stuff like that through like you know, the, the late nineties, early two thousands, and stuff. So to see her make it as sort of like a big I'm going to say a big Hollywood star nowadays because she's quite well known. Um, it's, it's it's quite strange to see her in these in in these situations, but she seemed like she had a lot of fun in this role. Is um, is sort of part of the big spy community, and I'm hoping we're going to get to see a lot more of her through the series. Uh, how how are you seeing her? Do you want to see more of her in the series? Or
1: yeah, um, you know. It's interesting that you have like a long history with her because I, I was aware of her, but it wasn't until the film *The Favorite* came out just a couple of years back that I mm. really she popped on my radar, and she was great in that. So, um, yeah, very excited to you know again, she's still kind of new to me, but uh, I've really loved her in *The Favorite*. I've loved her in this thus far, so um, it's going to be a lot of fun just seeing her chew up the scenery here on a, a Marvel show.
0: Yeah, it's definitely like I said, it's definitely weird. I think seeing someone that you've grown up with is as maybe a more sort of comedy actress and stuff like that. She's done serious, obviously, bits as well. But if, um, if you ever get to watch a show called Peep Show, um, she, she plays quite a prominent role in this uh, in that show, and she's quite an amusing character in there. So just one to watch out for, should you want to watch anything else that she's in. But there you go. Um, in terms then of like what they're going to be sort of pegging is a big sort of point throughout the series of who's a Skrull, who isn't a Skrull um to me there's a big red herring in this so i want to get your opinion on this that and it's one that everyone's going for and to me this is why it's a big red herring that they've said there's obviously going to be a really big character in the mc that's going to have been a scroll for quite some time everyone's putting money on roby um i think that's a big red herring because it's almost too obvious um in, in a way that, that this is the character because everyone's picked him and everyone's gone oh he seems a little bit off or he's the one that you know if he's working with the president that if the president's a scroll as well um especially when that, that the scene that they had together where he's like we can't get hold of Mick Fury and maria hill and the president's like you go out there and get them because you know if they're scrolls they they want to stop that from happening so where you stand on brodie being a scroll do you think it's too obvious do you want to see someone else as a, the big reveal where, which part of the fence do you land on this Oh, I think you've muted
1: yourself, mate. Sorry, I can't hear. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, sorry. Uh, I will say that I will. I don't underestimate Marvel's ability to spoil their own show by being so obvious. Um, I do consider <laughs> that to be a possibility. With that being said, I do tend to agree that there has to be a bigger shoe to drop. I am also not ruling out the fact that Nick Fury is a scroll. Uh, you know, I I think that would be I mean, if you want to go for the wildest possible option here, I, I think that's it. I think it, like if it, if we're going big big, the whole you could say the the whole time, like the final episode that he's been a scroll this whole time. Like that would really uh, rock the boat here. But um you know, I think my more realistic guess is it's probably just a character we haven't seen yet. That someone else is going to show up that and I, I, don't even, I couldn't even peg anybody right now to think who would be hmm. uh, worthy of, of doing that. But <laughs> yeah, it's something to think about.
0: Yeah, I think you're right in the fact that if it's not going to be someone like Brody that there's too wide a, a net out there to be able to cast and go, it's obviously going to be this person or, or anything like that. Because at the end of the day, they could have almost anybody show up and, and it'd be a scrum, couldn't they? So, um, But if we move on towards the sort of the end of this episode. Obviously a big shock at the end of this episode. And whether this ends up being a big MacGuffin or not, we obviously won't know maybe until next week. But Maria Hill gets shot, and it's looking yay. like she's potentially yay. dead. <laughs> Did you say yay?
1: <laughs> yes. I've Are been complaining a, a lot Hill about... Fan? Yeah, well, it, Nothing personal to, towards her by any means, <laughs> but I, I've complained a lot about uh marvel's fear of killing characters and um they did it they they really uh mm. they they gave us a punch here at the end of the episode so it shows that marvel still has some balls and uh, i appreciate that
0: i've been on a similar path myself i've mentioned it quite a lot on my podcast that i i hate this trope of everyone making it through to the end and no one sort of being killed off um so if they stay true to this and she is actually dead then I think not only is is that a good thing, but the fact that they kill off a, a you know a, a fairly well loved and well known character, but do it in a way where they don't have a big heroic ending, is is something that's needed as well because obviously they don't kill you know their heroes off very often. But when they do, it tends to be in some big heroic way, or you know they're, they're being a martyr for for, the, for their cause is a big sacrifice. So to have someone just killed off like that sort of senselessly at the end. Yeah, and, and it le- leads credence to the fact that at the end of the episode, they didn't name her in the in the opening credits. They didn't name Kobe Smolders in the opening credits for the episode. They just named her as a guest at the end of the episode, which is signaling that she won't be back. So we won't know until next week. I mean, do you think they're playing MacGuffin, or do you think she's actually dead? Because like, I think we're both on the side of she better be dead. Like, don't. If they, if they bring her back at the end of the next episode, I'm going to be pissed off.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's it would be so ridiculous, and I think they know that. So um, yeah, she's dead. She's got to be. If they don't, i have done. I'm uh, I'm switching over. To the, I, I like the DCEU I'm switching over to that fandom.
0: <laughs> I mean, do you do you have any thoughts for the future of this series in terms of potential? I know we said about you know it's hard to nail down anyone as being a scroll, but. Are there any potential cameos that you would like to see in in the series? I mean, maybe Monica Rambo, for example. I know there's been a lot of talk about um, Quake from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., because it's been ramping up that you know, Disney Plus have had. If you want to watch stuff to get prepared for Secret Invasion, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is one of those. Um, so everyone's been talking about, are we finally going to see Quake because she's got links to, to all this sort of stuff? Any, any predictions for the future of the series about who who we might see or who you would want to see? Um, I,
1: I, I think Monica Rambeau is definitely on the list, I, and I, I would like to see them start to set up some of the other movies coming down the pipeline, including the new Captain America movie. Um, you know, I think that that would be a really interesting, <laughs> interesting one. Uh, probably a far stretch to imagine we'll get Harrison Ford here, but... Um, you know, just something to set up some of these other movies coming up. I, I think that's the way to go.
0: And looking forward to the future projects. Then, um, obviously, we've got um, yeah, we've got Loki coming up that isn't necessarily good. obviously making connected to this series, but um, rolling into that. Obviously, we've got the Marvels coming out, and then Echo, and obviously, plenty of other projects that we know are coming over the next couple of years. What out of these particular Marvel projects, what are the ones that you want to see really connected to the show that have an impact on?
1: So as far as, like, I, I don't know that uh, hmm, it's hard for me to imagine connecting them too much. But I will say, and this is my hot take, of all the ones you mentioned, I'm actually most excited for Echo. Um, I really liked Echo and Hawkeye, um, and I loved Hawkeye. That, that's probably my favorite Marvel show uh, to date. So uh, I, I think that's a really fun character. And we're getting the full season, dropping at once. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun, too. To, uh, I'll probably stay up late and binge that. So, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff coming, but, uh, you know, I wanted to give some love to Echo for sure.
0: And I've been asking this to other guests I've had on the show. So, where do you stand on this whole situation of dropping all the episodes at once, like they do with the Netflix series, as opposed to having a weekly drop episode drop? Because a lot of other. Podcasters in particular, that I've talked to, seem to be a little bit annoyed that they're dropping it one at once because now they're like, we've got to, we've got to rush to watch it and then record our episodes and get it out there. Whereas having a weekly episode is easy to manage. As a as a fellow podcaster, what are your thoughts on that particular premise of dropping all the episodes at once?
1: I've always been a week to week guy. I prefer it that way. Even even not like as you mentioned as a podcaster, it's very annoying. But even as just a fan of television, like there's like this stress that I have to like rush through it. So I'm not spoiled online. Like it's just like, it gives me like a weird amount of anxiety uh, trying to like uh, catch up with something so quickly. And then also like uh, at what point do I start posting spoilers? You know, like what, what's the rule there? You know, at least with like a movie, I know that like, okay, like a week is fair. Uh, if you're following me, that there might be some spoilers after a week, but for something like that, it's like, do you give it two weeks? I don't know. Uh, so yeah, I, I also just think, you know, it, it, it gives time, even if I didn't have a podcast, it gives time for, like, theorizing and having conversations with friends. And um, it's not even just a superhero thing. It's just a television thing. I, I like the week-to-week hmm. format.
0: I think it's good because it helps build the anticipation as well, doesn't it? It was something I think I really pointed out during the Andor TV series, as we know, one of the best TV series of recent times. But the fact that, to me, the Andor series was a slow burner because it started off building their story up. And then once you get to like the prison episodes and it's really got you on tender hooks waiting for the next week's episode. And I'm not sure if the hype would have lasted and that anticipation and and talking about it with your friends and wanting to see it would have lasted if it was just dropped all at once, wouldn't it? So I'm with you. I want to see a weekly episode simply because I want to have time to process it as well. Um, I know sometimes at the end of a really good episode, you just want to, Give me that next episode. I want to see it now. I'm going to be so, if we get any of this in this series, I'm going to be crying going, oh, I want to see next week's episode now. Nah, come on, show me. Um, but I think, <laughs> do you think they'll do this with Daredevil? Because we know Daredevil's going to be a long series, 18 episodes. Do you think a series like that would benefit of being dropped all at once? Or do you think, because they said it's going to be like 30, 30 minute episodes roughly, um, and they're just going to sort of Do you think it benefits something like Daredevil to do a a, a drop one at once, or do you think it should be a weekly one?
1: I I will say, so to kind of go back to the the full drop, uh, I will say I I like that they're kind of experimenting with things, and I would like to see that trend continue. So with something like Daredevil, I would like to see them do something like, I don't know, could you drop two episodes per week? Um, You you know, every Wednesday or Thursday or whatever, they just drop uh, episode one and two and then three and four. Um, Or maybe even do like, uh, you know, I don't know, three, four episodes. I feel like there's (laughs) there's more ways to experiment with this, and I'm down for the experimentation, if nothing else.
0: Because essentially, if they do a weekly episode of Daredevil, we're going to be reviewing that for four and a half months. That's a lot, isn't it, to be able to go on for? So, I mean, we've got a pretty busy schedule as podcasters for this year, because I know that come August, September, October we're going to be pretty busy because we've got the Ahsoka series. There's, what, two or three weeks where Loki crosses over at the same time as Ahsoka. I think there's one week where I've got a schedule um, where I've got an episode of Ahsoka, Loki, and Craven the Hunter all scheduled in for the same week. Uh, So it's just like, I really hope that if they, yeah, you know, we're not reviewing Daredevil for four and a half months. I really don't want to have to go get, get down that route, to be fair. Imagine how many you know, guests we're we going to have to ask on the show to be doing that week <laughs> by week. That's going to be a
1: nightmare. So. We're really going to exhaust our resources on that one for sure. <laughs> uh,
0: first episode of Secret Invasion. What score are you giving this one? Let, let's hit the score on this one 9.5. Wow. Wow. High praise indeed. It was definitely a really good episode. I'm super excited to see where this particular series goes. Um, I can't wait to see the Nick Fury of old come back and be kicking ass and be like, bitch, I'm Nick Fury. You can't keep me. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Michael, for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. My first, uh, first guest coming back uh, for a second visit. Um, much love to you. You know how much I love your podcast as well. Tell everyone once more where we can find you.
1: All right. Uh, we are the Star Wars podcast. You can find us on, uh, all the podcast apps, including, uh, YouTube, uh, also on Twitch, uh, anywhere, uh, Apple, Spotify, all that stuff. So, um, if you want to check us out, we do week to week recaps for uh, a lot of the Star Wars and Marvel shows. Um, but more importantly, I, I really like to say, if you don't check out the podcast, give us a follow on Instagram because I really put a lot of work into the Instagram. I like to interact mm-hmm. with people. I like to chat with different people. Um, so hit us up on Instagram. And I'd love to. I, I like building a relationship with uh, you know, fostering a community. So um, yeah, that's at Star Wars Pod on Instagram.
0: You absolutely do because you do Instagram lives when you do your actual podcast week by week. You do do that live across like Facebook, um, obviously Twitch and a few other places. And you've got your own Discord channel as well. Um, So, you know, for those that are listening or or watching the video, Michael really does love to foster that community. So get on there, give him a follow. Um, Also, as I said, all of his uh, his details will be linked into the episode description. So you can go on there and give them a follow. Um, You know, Give us a follow as well if you've not already doing that. Um, you know, like and review the episode, and um, and obviously I'll be back next week with episode two of Secret Invasion. Um, and until then, we will take care of ourselves, and you take care as well. See you guys.